we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. We're in Matthew chapter 9. We'll begin reading in verse 9. We've been looking, interrupted our study of the life of David in uh, just for a brief time. We'll go back there, and we're really drawing near the end of that study. And um, just just taking some time here at the beginning of the year to to really concentrate on this word, follow, and the call that Christ has placed upon our lives that we follow him. Uh, we noted a few weeks ago in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19 that the call that Christ uh, gives to us is, is an indispensable call. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's an inconvenient call. It came at a, a very inconvenient time for them. And, and so we learn about the call. Then uh, we noted last time in, in the previous chapter that as the disciples followed Christ, they got on board a boat and they went across the Sea of Galilee from Capernaum uh, to the land of the Gadarenes and they encountered a storm. And uh, there are times in our lives as we follow Christ that we will encounter storms. And we learned that Christ has the storm under control and that he will lead us into storms and through storms and we will come out on the other side of that storm uh, knowing him better and then accomplishing his work because he will use the storm to prepare us to be more able ministers. We come to Matthew chapter number 9. We find that the Lord Jesus and his disciples have come back across the Sea of Galilee, back to Capernaum. And in the previous verses, the verses previous to the ones that we're going to read, uh, we find that the Lord Jesus heals a paralytic man, a man sick of the palsy. Uh, we know him as the man born of four uh, there was a group of men who tried to get him to Jesus. They carried him on his bed, but couldn't get him there. Couldn't get him in the house because the crowd was so great. So they went up on the roof and they uh, removed the roofing materials and created a hole and let the man down uh, through the roof to Jesus. And Jesus healed him. And throughout this ninth chapter, we're going to read of several miracles that Christ performs, demons that are cast out and uh, blind who receive their sight, all, num all manners of healings that Christ performed in this ninth chapter in his ministry in Capernaum in Galilee. But there's a lesson that he has and we find it beginning in verse number nine, a lesson that he has for his disciples. And we read of it here in verses nine through 13. I invite your attention there. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, follow me. Well, that's a familiar invitation to us by now. And he arose and followed him. 
And it came to pass, as Jesus said, at meat in the house. Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Notice the phrase that we find, just two words actually, in verse number 13. Go, he said, but go ye and learn. Learn. I want to speak to you on this subject this morning. Go and learn. Go and learn. Would you pray with me? Let's ask God to speak to us. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. May the Holy Spirit guide us. Enable me, O Holy Spirit, to proclaim the message that you've given. Help us to receive your truth. Give us ears to hear and a heart to respond. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the previous verses, I mentioned to you earlier that the Lord Jesus healed the man sick of the palsy. And I'd like for you to look at verse 6. Because he, he gives to us his intent, his purpose behind the miracle. He says in verse 6, But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. <coughs> Excuse me. I'll repeat that. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. This man was healed. It was, his condition was apparent to all. He was paralyzed. He, he couldn't move. He had to have people help him in. And, and so everybody knew that this man needed the healing touch of Jesus. What they couldn't see is that not only did he have a physical problem, he had a spiritual problem. He was a sinner. And that spiritual problem was much greater than his physical problem. And the Lord Jesus, knowing that man's heart, said to him, not only am I going to heal you, but I'm going to forgive you of your sin. That man had faith. That faith was in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That faith was evidenced when he let those men carry him up on a stretcher onto the roof of a house. I imagine I'm, uh, we weren't there, and the Bible doesn't give us details, but they lowered him down. That means his bed had to be tied to ropes, and, and he had to trust them to let him down because had they dropped him, he certainly would have perished. But he was willing to do anything he could to get to Jesus. He had faith in the person of the Son of God. And the Lord Jesus said, I'm going to heal this man. He's going to arise from his bed and walk. But I want you to know that I'm also forgiving him of his sin. That was a bold statement. That was one that the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the critics of Christ scoffed at and ridiculed and considered as mockery. But nevertheless, the Lord Jesus was teaching a principle concerning who he was as the Son of God and the only one who has power on earth to forgive sins. 
We come to Matthew verse uh, Matthew 9 and verse 9 and we see another man who has a problem. His problems aren't necessarily physical, but they certainly are spiritual. In fact, this man's name is Matthew. He is a publican. We read of him again in verse number 9. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew. Matthew was sitting at the receipt of custom. This means that Matthew was a tax collector. He didn't have a physical problem, but he had a spiritual problem, and everybody knew it. He was considered to be a sinner. Now, a Roman tax collector in that day was, was probably the most hated position anyone could hold in the land of Judea and in Galilee. The Roman government, in an effort to, to collect their taxes from the nations that they had conquered, would uh, sell uh, franchises to individuals among the people. And those people, buying into this franchise or obtaining the right to operate a franchise, would be responsible to collect the taxes in the region. And Matthew had become a tax collector. He was uh, a Galilean. He, he was a Jew. And, and he was considered by his own people to be a traitor. He was considered by his own people to be the lowest of the low. There were different classes of tax collectors. And the most hated class, well, that was the class that Matthew was a part of. You couldn't find a man in Capernaum more reviled than Matthew. You couldn't find a man in Capernaum more hated or disliked than Matthew. Yet this is the man that Jesus calls Matthew. Why were they so hated? Well, these, these tax collectors would excise Roman tax on on the Jewish people. They would tax them for their property. They would tax them for their, uh, their, their businesses or their uh, purchases. Uh, there was a poll tax that they would levy against the people. Just the matter that you exist mean, meant that you had to pay a tax. And there was all, all forms of taxation. For example, if someone was carrying a letter and that letter disclosed that there was a business transaction happening. These tax collectors could demand that you would show them your mail and they could levy taxes against you based on the contents of your mail. So you can imagine how, how involved many of them, especially the greedy, very super greedy ones, uh, had, had become involved in the intricate details of people's lives. It really puts things in perspective. We think we have a lot to complain about today. Well, this Roman taxation system was far more oppressive. And so here's Matthew hated, I mean hated by the people of Capernaum. And here's Jesus walking along and he sees this man and, and he calls him. Well, immediately you can imagine the response of the disciples because think about this. Peter and Andrew were fishermen in Galilee. They lived in Capernaum. Uh, James and John, also fishermen, lived in Galilee. 
There's no doubt they had interactions with this man, Matthew. There's no doubt whenever they would show up with their catch, <laughs> old Matthew's standing over on the side of the, uh, of the boat, and he's just waiting to see them. I want to see the catch. And, and then he gives them the tax bill. So you can imagine the dynamics here that are taking place. And Jesus calls this man the most notorious sinner of all of Capernaum to follow him. Now again, his physical condition seemed fine, but his spiritual condition was known to all. What is Jesus doing then? He's connecting two things. He showed his power to heal, and he's demonstrated his power to forgive. Now he's choosing the most desperate sinner in all the city to forgive. So if we're going to understand this passage, then we got to recognize that there are two distinct perspectives in this passage. There is, number one, the perspective of man, and there is, number two, the perspective of God. There is the way that man sees things. You can imagine how Matthew viewed himself. I mean, it probably he did not have a, a favorable impression of himself. He was reminded day in and day out how wicked he was by the people who lived around him. There were the disciples and their perspectives. There were the the Pharisees who are going to show up here and, and, and raise a question, and, and, and we can understand they had a perspective. But I want you to know that there is God's perspective. And what is important for us as we live in the world that we live in and as we go about the business that Christ has employed us in, as we learn to follow him, he wants to give us his perspective on the souls of men. He wants us to be employed about his business and complete his purpose of redemption in this world by sharing his message, by giving an invitation to people all across this city, all across this region, that they too would come and follow Jesus. So if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to have to go and learn. And as we go with him, there are many things that we're going to learn. Now, we learn some things in this passage. I'm going to give you three headings, three things that God uses in this passage to teach us. First of all, I want you to write it down, if you would, please. Number one, what we learn from Christ's call. What we learn from his call. Now, we've already established the fact that he has called Matthew the most reviled, perhaps most notorious sinner in all of Galilee. And Jesus calls him. I can imagine Peter and the disciples looking at each other going, what in the world is he doing? This is not going to help public relations. This is not going to help his campaign to bring in this guy, Matthew. And as I said a moment ago, perspective is important. You see, there are some things that we learn from Christ's call. First of all, he, we learned that he saw the man. He saw the man. 
Now, when we read this, we could overlook it, but I think it's very important that we notice it. Again, in verse 9, and as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man. He didn't see a publican. He didn't see a traitor. He didn't see a dirty, rotten scoundrel. He saw a man. A man who was lost in sin. A man who needed a savior. He saw a man. And he looked on that man with the eyes of God. That man was made in the image of God. By the way, all men are made in the image of God. That man is a man that Christ came to die for. That man was a man that God loved. That man was a man that the Lord Jesus had compassion for. How would you like to be the most hated man in the city of Hickory? Deserve it or not, it wouldn't be a very popular place to be. It wouldn't be very enjoyable, would it? Well, that's where Matthew found himself. And so Jesus sees the man, hated by men, yet loved by God. Greedy for gain, and he had plenty, but empty in his soul. And as we follow Jesus, as we spend time with him, our prayer is that God will help us to see men as he sees them, as souls that he died for. Our world is full of anger and hatred and division and strife. It's full of prejudices, not just about race relations, prejudices about a number of things. People form opinions and, and um, in their mind about people without really knowing them, without getting to, to know them, without spending any time for them. They write them off. They dismiss them. They divide into groups where they feel comfortable. But the Lord Jesus cuts through all of that. And he sees us right where we are. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. Uh, being in a Baptist church is one of the last things on earth you probably thought you would do, but here you find yourself today. And why are you here? Because the Lord sees you. Because he loves you and he wants to save you. He saw the man. Well, not only did he see him, but notice this. Look again, if you would please, in verse 9. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he saith unto him. He saw him, and he spoke to him. He could have passed by him. Oh, there's a publican. That's what a lot of his followers may have done. That's definitely what the Pharisees would have done. But Jesus saw him, and he spoke to him. It's an amazing thing that the God of the universe wants to speak to us. That he sees us, and he lets us know he sees us. By speaking to us, we then understand he's taking note of us. So he speaks. Just a simple statement. Follow me. Now, Matthew was in Capernaum. He he had no doubt heard of all the things that Jesus had done in Capernaum. He probably met some people who were healed. 
Maybe some of his former friends, the publicans and sinners crowd that had come to faith in Christ because they had met him. So he had heard about Christ. And when he came, he knew who he was. And when Jesus offered the call, follow me, Matthew said, you got it. All this stuff that I thought would make me happy has only made me miserable. So he left it and he followed Jesus. And he did so because Christ spoke to him. I want you to know that the Lord Jesus sees you. He sees the struggling mother. He sees the tempted. He sees the addict. He sees the broken. He sees the blind, the downcast, the poor, the empty. He sees you. And he has a message for you. Follow me. Jesus Christ, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Come unto me, and I will give you rest, he says. So the invitation is given. He saw the man. He spoke to the man. But then we notice something else, if you would, please. We see it in verse 10. And it came to pass, as Jesus said at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. So Jesus has a new disciple, Matthew, and he's following Jesus. And after a time, he says to Jesus, I'd like to have a feast. I'd like to have a banquet at my house. I'd like to invite my friends to come to this banquet. Would you come? And Jesus said, yes, I'll come. And so he and his disciples came to the banquet. And we see not only did he see them, not only did he speak to them, but he sat with the man. He sat with the man. And his friends. You know, if we're going to go sit with people, it means we're going to have to interrupt our schedule. It means we're going to have to do some things that we might not want to do. It means that we're going to have to put ourselves out there and risk rejection and misunderstanding to sit down and have a cup of coffee or dessert or a meal at a restaurant or in our living room, whatever the case may be, and speak to people about Jesus and tell them about the difference he's made in our lives. Can you imagine? Here is uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John, and they're at the house of Matthew. I imagine they looked at themselves and said, what have we gotten ourselves into? And then here comes all the publicans and the sinners. The addicts, the drug dealers, the prostitutes. They're all there. And that's who they're sitting with. They didn't expect that. But they were right where they needed to be. Because they were with Jesus. And those people felt unwelcomed and unloved by everybody else in Capernaum. 
When people come to this church, they ought to feel welcome. They ought to feel loved. That means we have to work at it. It might be good if you see a stranger that you don't know, you go and introduce yourself to them and sit with them. Jesus will say later, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. We know there are sick people who need to get to the divine doctor, do we not? So why don't you, by faith, prayerfully, schedule an appointment for them? You don't have to let them know. Get them over to the doctor's office. Sit with them in the waiting room. You want them to get in to see the doctor, right? You want them to know Jesus. Well, if you want them to know Jesus, you got to spend time with them in the waiting room. You got to prepare them. You got to speak to them. You have to love them. You have to learn to invest in their lives. You can't just give a, a gospel track. And I'm, by the way, I'm for the distribution of gospel tracks. But you can't just drop a track and expect that's your responsibility. No. Jesus went to where people were and he sat down with them and he spent time with them and he talked to them. And if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, then there are some lessons that we need to learn from Christ's call. We need to see people as God sees them. We need to speak to people as God would have us speak to them. We have the message. And we need to sit with people. Well, then secondly, not only what we learn from Christ's call, but what we learn from Christ's critics. By the way, if we're going to fulfill the mission that Christ has given us, we are going to have critics. We're going to have critics. Look at verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? Now the Pharisees were known as the religious leaders. They were known as the dogmatic, orthodox Judaizers. But they weren't really orthodox because what they had done is they had taken the law of God and they had added so much of their man-made tradition to it. And the religion of the Pharisees was not like the law of Moses. They had created their own system. And by the way, that's what men are prone to do. We just can't live with this notion in our mind because of our flesh that, that we're saved by grace. That's hard for us to accept. So we want to add a system to it to go about to establish our own righteousness. And that's what this group of Pharisees were really about. I don't think they were well loved by the people, but I do think perhaps because of their position they were respected. And so they came, as they came to the miracles, they, they came to this event, and they stood without. And when it was all over, they said to the disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? They couldn't believe that he had done that. Now, just a couple of thoughts about what we learned from them. First of all, they had the wrong view of themselves. They thought, they thought in their hearts that they were righteous. Uh, look, if you would, please, in verse 12. But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they 
that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. He said, look, who do you expect me to go to? I'm the great physician. I'm the healer of the souls of humanity. The only people that are going to go to the doctor are those who are sick. And you people believe that you are not sick. You think you're whole. He went on in verse 13 to say, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I'm not come to call the righteous. Now, I want you to know the Pharisees were not righteous in God's eyes. They were righteous in their own eyes. And so they had the wrong perspective on or the wrong view of their self. Then secondly, they had the wrong view of sinners. They had the wrong view of sinners. They looked down their noses at these people. They couldn't believe that Jesus would, would, ever, would ever come in contact with these wicked people. They were condemning and they were unmerciful. And we can all fall into that trap, can't we? We can become so critical, even of one another. You know, I'm glad my children don't behave like that. Those are silly things people say. I don't do that. I don't let this happen. And we become unmerciful, condemning. We see people look a certain way that mar has the marks of the rebellion of this world in them. And we think, I'm not talking to those people. They, they just have a different way than I do, and, and I, I don't even want to be associated with those people. Wait a minute, those are the people that Christ loves and came to die for. By the way, you were one of those people. Remember when Paul gave that long list of wicked, wicked, sinful uh, practices of humanity, and then he said, and such were some of you. Hey, that's all of us, people. That's all of us. They had the wrong view of self. They had the wrong view of sinners. They had the wrong view of the Savior. They viewed him simply as a man. And they called him in Matthew 11 and verse 19. They called him a friend of publicans and sinners. They said, well, I don't understand why he would keep company with these people. Why would he eat with these people? Why would he come into contact with these people? You see, they thought if they were around people like that, that they would get defiled. But they didn't realize that Jesus does not, he cannot be defiled by sinners. You remember the woman with the issue of blood here in, in Matthew 9, you'll read about her if you read this entire chapter. The woman with the issue of blood comes to Jesus and she touches the hem of his garment. The Bible said she said within herself, if I could touch the hem of his garment, I'd be made whole. And so she did. She got through the group and she touched the hem of his garment. And when she touched him, she did not defile him. But the Bible says this. In Mark chapter 5, we have a record of it, Mark 5 verse 30, and Jesus immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him. You see, her touch did not defile him. Her touch of him brought virtue from him to her. You see, sinners need to be exposed to the virtuous son of God. Now, Jesus did not participate in their revelry. He didn't go to their parties. He didn't go to their, 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 their sinful uh, uh, and, and, and get engaged in any way in their sinful practices. 
but they came to him and they received what they needed in him. You see, I think it's interesting to note if you read this ninth chapter, the Pharisees were the only blind men that came to Jesus and didn't receive their sight. They're the only lame men in this chapter that came to Jesus and weren't made to walk. They're the only dead men in this chapter who came to Jesus and were not raised to life. They were the only demon-oppressed men who came to Jesus and were not delivered. And the reason was they would not recognize that they were sick. So we learn from the critics, and we must resist the spirit of the Pharisee. Well, let me give you a third thing. What we learn from Christ's class. What we learn from Christ's class. Jesus has a class in session here. You know, a disciple is a learner. A follower is a learner. If we're going to learn, what do we do? We got to go to school. Well, Jesus said, all right, boys, it's time for class. He's going to address. He says in verse 12, but when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. So it's time for class. Now, class has two components to it. There's lecture day and there's lab day. Well, we're going to look at lecture day first. Here's the lecture. He begins with an illustration to help prepare them to receive what he has to say, he gives them an illustration. They that be whole need not a physician. In other words, a perfectly healthy person does not need a physician. There's no reason to go to the doctor. I've been trying to tell my wife that for some time. <laughs> but they that are sick. If you're sick, go to the doctor. And so he said, I'm the doctor. Who do you expect me to go to? By the way, we work for the doctor, don't we? Who are we trying to get people to? The doctor. You go to the doctor's office. You go to the receptionist. She gets your information. What's her end game? Her end game is to get you checked in and get you to the doctor. Someone walks out, of the, uh, out from behind the secret door and calls your name and says, follow me. They're working for the doctor. What's their goal? To get you back there to see the doctor. We work for the doctor. We're not just here to walk around in the office and, and congratulate each other for having a job. We're not just here to go spend some time in the break room and have a, a nice bowl of soup and a salad. Oh, look, somebody brought brownies today. No, we're here to get people to the doctor. That's what this church is. We're here to get people to Jesus. So he gives him an illustration. Then he makes a declaration. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's why they weren't interested in him. They, they were righteous, they thought. But they weren't. They were the most wicked of all. So here's the declaration. I will have mercy. What did they want? Judgment. What did he offer? Mercy. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. What did they think? They thought they could live at a certain level that would make God so happy and proud of them. And sometimes we think that too. 
It's not going to happen. You, you can't live good enough to get to heaven. The only person who did that was Jesus, the Son of God. And if you're on your way to heaven, it's not because of your record, it's because of his. His righteousness that is imputed to your account. So the only sacrifice that can be made is the sacrifice of Christ for our sins. What were they trusting in? They were trusting in themselves to get themselves to heaven. Jesus said, no, no, I'm the only way to heaven. Well, there was a third part of this declaration, and that was his purpose. I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Paul said it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So here's the lecture. Fellows, the reason I went to the dinner party is because the people there knew they needed me. And they came to me so that they could get mercy so that they would have an opportunity to repent and be saved. But you, on the other hand, you Pharisees, think that you're okay, but you're not. Well, that was the lecture. And then he says in verse 13, but go ye and learn. Go. Go out, follow me, walk with me. Go into this world and see the souls of men as I see them. Speak to them the message that I have given you. Set among them and bring them to me. That's the lab. That's where we put all this into practice. You see, what will determine uh, the, the consequence of this message today is not necessarily the response we have in the immediate aftermath of it. What will determine the consequence of it is what happens in the days and weeks following. Go ye and learn. Now just, we're closing right here. Four things they needed to learn. Number one, they needed a new perspective. This is what they got from lab. They got a new perspective. A new perspective concerning their view of the souls of men. Their eyes were open. They began to see souls in need of a Savior. Not just sinners, but souls. They looked through the light of heaven, and they looked with a lens of compassion. Well, what else did they get in lab? Well, they developed a new practice. Not just seeing people, not discounting them or discarding them, but seeing them with compassion and speaking to them. You know, God has given us a message, and we need to deliver that message to a lost world. We need to speak to people. A kind word, a compassionate gesture, a heartfelt concern, an invitation. Would you like to come with me to my Sunday school class? Would you like to go with me on Wednesday evening to my grief share class? Would you like to come to our youth group? 
and hear the gospel. Why don't you come to a church service with me? We have a beautiful choir. Okay, preacher. His wife's very nice. But won't you come? A new practice. Begin to speak to people. A new pattern. That's the third thing they got. We're not just going to blow through town and, and, and call people and then walk off. No, we're going to sit with them. We're going to sit down with them. You know, you, you, again, you could, have, you could have people to your home. You could invite them for a meal after a service. Get to know them. Pray for them. Encourage them. Go to where they are. Have a prayer group at work, a Bible study in your neighborhood, but a new pattern of sitting with people and telling them about Jesus. And then a new purpose, a new purpose. The disciples saw, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to follow Jesus, and he's the king, and he's going to deliver us from Roman oppression, and we're going to rule with him. Won't that be great? And by the way, uh, many American Christians would like to have that same view, right? We're going to follow Jesus, and everybody in America is going to straighten up, and we're going to elect people that we want, and we're going to just see it all go great. I'm sorry, that's not going to happen. Because evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. It won't go great until we get to heaven. It won't go great until Jesus comes again. So here's what we got to do. We got to get as many people to Jesus as we can. That's our purpose. And some of us, including myself at times, have failed to recognize that. So what do we learn? We learn a lot, don't we? We learn a lot from Christ's call. He saw the man. He spoke to the man. He sat with the man. We learn a lot from his critics. They had the wrong view of themselves, and so often do we. The wrong view of sinners, and so often do we. And the wrong view of the Savior, and so often do we. So let's go and learn in this class. And let's pray that God would help us to do his will. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.